0: It's great to be introduced as the one and only Dave Mitchell when there are so many Dave Mitchells in the <laughs> world, aren't there? They're, they're everywhere. Um, Lovely to be at Highgrove. Two services. Very exciting. And what to be thinking about the Bride of Christ. Of course, it's very topical, certainly for me, because I am in the throes of wedding season. I don't know. How many of how many you have been to a wedding this summer? Okay, so the minority. I, I have been to a lot of weddings. We, I think people were kind of postponing their weddings until they felt they could actually have a proper wedding. So, as a result, they've been happening every Saturday throughout the summer. And my next wedding is this coming Sunday, actually. I'm going up to Liverpool for the wedding of Joe Cook, who's our youth minister at Woodis, and Steph, who's been living with us at 88. It's going to be a very special wedding service. But uh, every wedding service is special, isn't it? And, um, you know, people... People get themselves ready, and they take a lot of time. But I've got to say that in my observation, the bride is more careful and takes more time about getting herself ready than the bridegroom. In fact, at a wedding I went to earlier this summer, the bridegroom, his best men, the groomsmen, all went for their suit fitting on the Saturday of the wedding. <laughs> and certainly for at least one of them, the suit was rather too tight across the posterior. Um, LAUGHTER Too late to do anything about it. You would not find a bride behaving like that. And in fact, you know, I observe something of the mystery. You know, there are these these women that you know in church, lovely women, and yet they get transformed on their wedding day from lovely but ordinary women into these kind of regal, queenly beings. (laughs) And uh, there's a whole process that goes on, you know, of, um, well, obviously, the, the, the choosing of the dress, which is a big deal. But there's, there's this kind of my, my daughter-in-law actually, who lives with us at the moment. She she does wedding makeup, and you know there's there's, there's a lot of time that goes to the makeup and the hair, and and on the wedding morning, there'd be a crowd of women in some secret place with the bride, getting her ready. You know, for the bridegroom, it's not like that. You just put your trousers on and done. You know, but <laughs> but but this, all this goes on because I suppose the bride actually wants to look good on her wedding day. Doesn't she? You know, and and you have this dramatic entrance of the bride. There's first one bridesmaid, then another. You know, and 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 they all look great. You know, but finally the bride appears, and and she's radiant. And I suppose we we want to look our best, not because we're on public view, though that is important. But we want to look our best because we're giving ourselves to someone, and we want to be the best version of of ourselves that we can be to give ourselves. And of course. It's not just about the outward. We, we want on the inside to be the best version of ourselves for our partners if we really love them. But all of that is, is kind of symbolized really around um, this period of preparation, make yourself ready. And, and the Bible is full of that. One of the uh, Actually, last Sunday I was invited to speak at Metro on the book of Esther. And uh, honestly, if you think that getting ready for a wedding is a bit of a palaver, if you look at Esther, she had a whole year of bridal treatment you know, six months of, of, of kind of lotions and another six months of perfumes and unguents and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and um, yeah, getting ready, getting yourself ready. And the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ. In fact, right back in the Old Testament, the people of God are described as being like a kind of a wife, a covenantal, special, unique holy and jealous love that God has for his people. And there's some beautiful language and poetry around that. One of the lovely passages is uh, in Hosea. In Hosea chapter 2, it talks about, actually, the prophet has been told to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful so that he will really understand and grasp the heart of God for his people who have so often been unfaithful to him who've kind of followed the kind of local gods and powers of, of the nations around them or the ones they've been transported to and and Hosea is t- told to, to marry this woman of, of and, and though she's unfaithful to, to buy her back and then Hosea 2 talks about God speaking to his people in the wilderness. I will allure her. I'll speak tenderly to her. The valley of ache the valley of trouble, I'll make a door of hope. And it speaks about this kind of tender, merciful love of God as he wants to restore his people to himself like a, a bride to a bridegroom. And of course, the, the, the Bible ends pretty near the end, really, it's bridal language. And in Revelation 21, we read about the church. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. And in Revelation 19, where it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb that's coming. It talks about um, the bride making herself ready. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, my role in the whole of my adult life, more or less, has been absorbed with the Bride of Christ. I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And when, when I met Jesus as a, as, a, as a very young person, I found mercy and I found forgiveness and I found a, a place in, in God's family. And um, when I started my working life, really, pretty early on, I was called to be part of the team leading a church. I was in my 20s and it was in Bristol. And um, and I've done that really ever since. So, you know, for nearly 40 years of, of Christian ministry in church. And what I've, what I've been in, in that role is, first of all, I have been part of the bride. All of us who are followers of Jesus are part of his bride, part of a covenant people who together express something magnificent enough to be called the bride of Christ. None of us on our own are the bride of Christ, but together we are. But we're also friends of the bridegroom. I love that phrase, actually. It's a phrase that comes from John's Gospel. And, and John the Baptist, when he's um, a, having an encounter with his own disciples, his own followers, who are kind of a bit jealous of, of what's going on with Jesus as Jesus is baptizing people or people being baptized as followers of Jesus. He says, um, I must decrease, he must increase. But he says, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. My job is to promote the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom certainly does that. That's what um, the groomsmen do. They're there to look after the bride, the, the bridegroom. But also, there's something about friends of the bridegroom, which means how can we help the bride get ready? Because I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And so for me, part of the bride, part of the problem, part of what needs to be made ready, but also part of a friend of the bridegroom having the the job, really, a partner with the Holy Spirit to help the bride be the best bride she can be. And I don't think that's unique to people in Christian work. I think that's a call for everyone who's in the bride to also be friends of the bridegroom to help the bride be the best version of herself that she can be. So we're all working to help the church be the best thing that the church can be. Now, honestly, though wedding days are great celebrations and though um, marriage is is a beautiful thing and human people loving one another and giving themselves to one another is a very joyful and tender thing, honestly, sometimes marriages aren't that great, are they? you'd have thought that people might even have given up on marriage because of the brokenness that people experience in marriage. Many people um, here today might have have been children of, 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 of marriages there where there was divorce or other sadness or pain or brokenness. Some of you may yourself experience broken marriage, and of course that's very, very common in our society today. But we haven't given up on marriage Because at its best, we think it's still the most wonderful thing. At its best, at its ideal, two people giving themselves to one another in faithfulness throughout their lives. Making a context where children can be safe and be nurtured and have that wonderful balance in their life between two caring people. It's an extraordinary thing. and We value it so much that we still keep going for marriage, even though the stats, the data on brokenness are huge. It's a little bit like that with church. We could give up on the church because of all the brokenness in church. It may be there are people watching today or people who are here in this building who've been damaged by church, who felt that, in my experience, church was disappointing, abusive even. We've all seen the horror stories of of church leaders falling in spectacular ways. And we've also seen, if you like, the the experience of church where it's perceived as judgmental, not a place where you receive mercy, where you receive welcome and inclusion, but where you receive judgment and, um, yeah, rejection, lack of inclusion. All the more disappointing because what is meant to be is so wonderful. But the reality is, I think... God actually hasn't given up on church and just as in the book of Hosea um, it, picks, it picks about God restoring his people alluring her uh, God hasn't given up on church and neither should we and actually the fact that, that you're here today gathered in this building or watching online is a sign that you've not given up on church even though probably for you church has been a bit challenging to engage with over the last 15 months for no fault of church of course but because of they're restricted around pandemic. But I, I don't know whether anyone here has, has, has watched the, the Hillsong documentary on Storyville, God Goes Viral. Have you seen that? Recommend a slightly uncomfortable watch. So what do we know about Hillsong? I mean, we know that they've got some fantastic worship songs. <laughs> that's that's what, what everybody knows about Hillsong, isn't it? You know? uh, and um, in fact, there's a multi-million dollar industry around Hillsong Music, I'm sure. But they've also got very prominent churches in all the major cities on every continent on the planet. Began in Australia. Nothing wrong with that, honestly. But they did. But, um, you know, they're there in London and, and Oxford and but in, in Paris and New York and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's a documentary that's on play now. You can watch it. And um, I'm going to let you. In fact, it's free. But uh, in that documentary, you see... Um, the light and the dark of church. You certainly see the impact of money, sex, and power. And there's some very uncomfortable stuff there. You see the incredible kind of pyrotechnics and razzmatazz of, of a church gathering in a stadium to worship. And you also see stories of people being helped by church. You see the full range. You see people who, wherever they felt church has been abusive for me where I felt exploited. Um, you, you see actual sexual brokenness from you know, there's, there's the story of Brian Houston, the founder of his, his father, who was a, a convicted paedophile as a church minister. So all of that is there. And you also see the woman who was um, in the military and was sexually abused in the military and became powerfully um, depressed and homeless and how she was housed and cared for and nurtured by the church. Or the guy from Wales who's kind of got into addiction and his life is, was going nowhere and, and, and encounters Hillsong and is kind of, has an encounter with Jesus. And you see it all. And what you remember, what you take away, when the church looks beautiful actually isn't the big spectacular worship event. What makes the church look beautiful is the stories of the vulnerable who've had mercy shown to them and have found a place in the family of God. Now, for us, I think as we think about what makes the church look beautiful, I think we are meant to look beautiful. And we're meant to look beautiful so that the world will see the glory of God. When Jesus speaks to his people in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, let your Light shine before men, that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Actually, the bride is meant to reflect something of the glory of the bridegroom. He's even more glorious than the bride. And it's the reflected glory, if you like, that gives the beauty to us. It's the reflected glory of the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. And what it means to follow him and devote ourselves to him. And I think when the church looks beautiful, it really does. You know, we've, we've, we've probably all seen stories of, uh, we know the stories that the, 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 you know, the big ones, whether it's Jackie Pullinger, you know, just a young woman going around the world, ending up in Hong Kong, starting a church for the poorest, the, the drug addicts, the, the gang members in the walled city in a dark place, and, and how that attracted the powerful in Hong Kong because they could see something beautiful going on amongst the poorest We all know about Mother Teresa and her work with the dying on the streets of Calcutta and how something where the people of God cared for the most broken, the most destitute, it attracted the attention of the world and it looked beautiful. But in our city today, there's lots of things going on where the church is serving and caring because of a love for God that translates into a love for people and a mercy that flows that makes the church look really beautiful. And many of the kind of charitable sectors of our city are really underpinned by Christians, by church. And things that come out of this church, in this community, are things that are beautiful. And I suppose it is wonderful to see a church really loving Jesus and celebrating in song and and celebration. And I I don't want to take anything away from, from the worship of God that is around our musicality and our all of that sort of stuff. But I also see that the, the beauty and the worship that's expressed in, in caring for the people that God cares for and aligning ourselves with his purpose in the world. So I think that loving Jesus deeply and being his pride means loving him, certainly, but also loving one another. And being a place where forgiveness is rampant, and judgment is not present. It's about caring for the poor, being generous, about seeking justice for the oppressed, healing the sick, and including all kinds of people. Humble, not proud. And um, you know, the church that Jesus loves, it's made up of everyone, isn't it? And that's why when we see a church that has all kinds of ages and backgrounds and ethnic groups and socioeconomic backgrounds, and people loving one another, not like the Gentiles, it's beautiful. For me, one of the the things that's that's part of wanting to make the church beautiful is is living in community. In my community house, we've got several nationalities. We've got an age range that goes from people in their 60s to people in their 20s. We've got very different backgrounds educationally and socioeconomically. And honestly, loving one another is a day-by-day challenge. <laughs> loving one another, not like the Gentiles, having inclusion, not cliques. You know, having to try and do it, trying to work it out. And doing that on the small scale, trying to do it on the big scale. But when we do it, it truly looks beautiful, doesn't it? And you know, when the church looks beautiful, people want to know who's the bridegroom. They really do. And my prayer for us as we think about what it means to be the church, the bride of Christ, is that we will have that aspiration to be the best version of the Bride of Christ that we can be so that people fall in love with the Bridegroom all for themselves. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for Highgrove Church, that she is some, something that for you is a treasure, that she is a bride, part of your, your whole bride, but an expression somehow of the Bride of Christ, even as a church community. And I pray that Highgrove Church would keep falling in love with Jesus and his beauty would be very real to them And I pray that they would also be beautiful, that they'd love one another deeply from the heart. They'd love the community that you've put them in and be able to serve the people that you really have have given them to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.